Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's John. You want to look and feel your very best? Visit the team at Cool Contours. They are the number one cool sculpting provider in Virginia. Their award-winning team of certified cool sculpting elite and cool tone specialists work with you to create a fully customized treatment plan to achieve your dream body. Learn more at cool-contours.com. That's cool-contours.com. As ranked by Allergen in June 2021, cool sculpting leaves FDA clear to visible fat bulges in nine areas of the body. Some common side effects include temporary numbness, discomfort, and swelling. Hello and welcome to the first edition of the 2019 Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I am here with none other than the elusive Matt. Thanks, Pete. Good to be back. Just had an extended winter break. Uh, and do you want to tell people why you had an extended winter break? Um, my wife had a baby, so that has kept me particularly occupied. While the baby was screaming, it was difficult to uh, get out of the house and say I was going to meet a mate and talk about Arsenal for a few hours. <laughs> and uh, is the is the baby an Arsenal fan? I mean, <laughs> not in any doubt, is it? <laughs> Do you, um, I wouldn't subject a small child to uh, the uh, the lifetime of suffering of being a Spurs fan or Chelsea fan. Do you have any views on parents that let their kids support teams that they don't? It's disgusting. It's outrageous, right? It's, 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 I, mean, I mean, I pity it. Uh, and I do know a couple of examples where uh, a fam, like a husband and wife, has been an Arsenal fan and a Spurs fan, and an Arsenal fan and a Chelsea fan. And can you believe it? They have split. So they've said one of the children is an Arsenal fan and the other one is a Spurs fan. Oh my god, that's can awful! Imagine, can no. you imagine be- drawing the, the the short straw and being a Spurs fan? It's it's a real it's a real especially weakness. if one of your parents gets to celebrate various Arsenal successes. Yeah, imagine being the kid that picks Spurs. Yeah, I, 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 when you meet a man that says that his child supports the team on the other side, it's just a, a, a immediate disgust. But you know, it's a real I, weakness. You know what I have noticed, which is slightly sickening, is there are more and more young kids with Spurs tops. In that New you'd York, never right? see, you'd never see, but suddenly they're a bit of a in vogue team. I don't think we, I don't think we've done a podcast since we went to see the Spurs game uh, together at like nine a.m. just before Christmas, mm. and uh, we went to a. I managed to find us a pub uh, in Brooklyn. There was a fucking Spurs pub, an actual Spurs pub, full of. American Spurs fans. And you could tell because they looked slightly I know this isn't very PC, but they look they look retarded. <laughs> they, they did they did they didn't look good, did they? No. And you, it had and it's it just felt very Spursy. They they had a They looked like sort of prehistoric creatures. And they had a camera 
they had a camera. I was like, what are you, why is there a camera in here? What are you going to like rip out a DVD if, if it all goes well for you today? I felt like everyone, everyone knew who I was. They knew I was an Arsenal fan. But yeah. just, I don't know. Maybe I just, we just look, we were better looking. <laughs> we look. We look more successful. I felt, I felt more elite than those guys. We yeah. we all the drinks. We yeah. ran away like fucking lads. <laughs> yeah. As soon as we got the news that there was an Arsenal pub around the corner, we uh, we were out there. Yeah, it, but it definitely wasn't open when I initially went. Um, so I, I can't even remember the last time that we did a podcast. Everything's been so busy, but but lots of things have happened. I think it's uh, too much to go through, uh, like a, a month's worth of um, of heartache. Really, but I think that what's going to serve us best today is we're going to do an, uh, an Unai Emery half-term report. I think we can talk about some of the issues that the club are, are now are now realizing with um, with Wenger gone, Gazidis gone. I think we're like the, it's all coming unpicked. Um, a little bit and then we can talk about the January transfer window um, which like as has been tradition for many years is not going to be relevant to us this year but we can talk about some of the players we've been linked to and then we can talk about hopes and dreams for the rest of the season yep okay cool so Unai Emery everybody knows my opinions on the hire of uh, Unai Emery at the start of the season I was not convinced uh, about his his employment, uh, you were a little bit more convinced. I grew more convinced as the as the season went on because how can you not be on a twenty two game unbeaten run? Sadly, it all came crashing down. Um, but let's not throw uh, the baby out with the bathwater. Let's let's have an honest appraisal of uh, of, of Uno Emery. So, Matt, tell us what's gone right. What's gone right for the Spaniard? Well, the first thing that went right for the Spaniard is he's not Austin Wenger. And I Absolutely. Th- and I think that after so many years of knowing exactly what was going to happen next, having a new manager in charge with new ideas um, has been a breath of fresh air. Um, there's no doubt that having the fans feeling united has made a big difference. Um, and just having someone who is slightly more modern and focused has helped the team immeasurably because you can see that uh, this is a guy who is, whatever you think of his methods or his strategies, is 100% focused on the game. And I think I saw something in the FA Cup game against uh, Blackpool. I was watching it. And let's be honest, third round of the FA Cup, half-empty stadium, Blackpool... I'm watching it on the sofa in my pants, really sort of half giving a fuck about it. Uh And it was good to see Emery right on it, shouting on the touchline, barking orders, cajoling the team, celebrating the goals. That didn't look like a guy who was going, our third round of the cup, like, you know, thinking about the next game. It looked like a guy who was 100% on the ball. And I think, you know, you think back 12 months to Nottingham Forest and Arsene Wenger and, you know, he just was just turned up. And Mailing just, it uh, in a little bit. Yeah. Players were as well. Yeah. And so just seeing he is, there is no questioning his commitment, dedication, passion. He wants to make this success. And I think just having someone like that with that unerring focus is definitely a, a significant improvement. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right at, 
it's, it's the shaking up the fan base thing is very interesting because the, nobody really knows like how to like where to stand, how to react, how critical to be. You know, the the, the staunch anti RSM people. There's a group of them that are like, no one can criticise the manager for two or three years and anybody that does is not an Arsenal supporter. You've got the people that loved Arsene Wenger who are now, you know, being a little bit overly critical. Can't wait for Emery to fail because they've got some bizarre uh, view that they will be vindicated in supporting Wenger over all of those years. But the, the reality is... I don't care if there is a little bit of misery going on at the moment where we haven't really improved. It's a different sort of misery. The club is moving forward. We're being modernised. Um, like we have a passionate manager that is. I, I feel like one of his best traits is that he's quite self-critical. Like he's very realistic. He's pragmatic when he talks about the club, and uh, and he he tries to adapt. Um, like when things aren't going his way. And the, I enjoyed the FA Cup win at the weekend. Yeah. It seemed like there was a lot of like critique online about it, but like watching Joe Willock score two goals, I love I love Eddie up front. I know it didn't quite go right for him, but like Adebayor used to miss unbelievable chances to start with. The point is that he was getting into good positions, uh, and yeah, just the all round effort of the team. Completely agree, and it was and it was good to see because there's no doubt that as circumstances have. Began to reveal, begun to reveal themselves over the past, even the past three, four weeks, and you begin to get a clear indication of where Arsenal are from a financial standpoint, from a strategic standpoint. It's become more and more important that our young players come to the fore. And because Arsenal Football Club can't be successful in the short, medium term without three or four of these youngsters turning into first-team players, in my opinion because we simply don't have the finances to build a top-level team. So if we're going to buy top-level players, we're going to need to augment them with players coming through our, our youth team. And I think, I mean, I'd like to see that more clearly articulated by the manager. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm going, we need, you know, at least three, of those, three or four of those players to become first-teamers. Yeah, and when you think about it, after the Blackpool game... Um, they weren't even our best, really. You've got Reese Nelson out on loan at Hoffenheim, who's like, you know, pulling up trees. Uh, Smith Rowe uh, is injured, yep. so he's not playing. Uh, Mavropanos is not playing, and you know he was the great white hope last year. And Rob Holding is out injured, so there's like there's a lot of promise. Yep. Um, I think uh, Maitland Niles has been yep. like like it's solid. Yep. And he was great against yep. uh, uh, Blackpool. I still don't know. I, I, I have no idea. Like, I'm looking at these players. I'm like, I have no idea. Is Willock going to make it? Like, is, um, uh, is Medley? Yep. Is he going to make it? Yep. Like, they're, 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 but they all seem like they're built for the Premier League. Yep. You know, like they're fast, they're technical, they're hardworking, and they seem a lot more focused than some of the generations of the past. Yeah, and I think you've seen um, what I think you made the point in your uh, blog about. Uh, the Liverpool fullbacks, you know, Robertson and Trent Arnold, they weren't bought for 50, 70 million. They were, you know, plucked from lower leagues or, uh, or, or, or developed. And I think the quality, the natural quality of some of those players means that we, there's a good chance of some of them developing into first team regulars. And I don't know whether they're going to be the top, top, top level, but there's certainly enough there to give us hope. Yeah, I was reading. Um, uh, I was reading about like like football and cognition 
the, this morning when I was writing about um, like Edu potentially becoming the director of football, and it was saying uh, like with. W- it was said that you shouldn't just focus on technical ability of players. It's about uh, decision making, intelligence, and the speed of which you can uh, like adapt to new ideas. So that when you're on the football pitch, you're making the best decisions all the time, and like you see the patterns like building in the games. And uh, but it said that one of the keys to those uh, to those things coming to players is actually getting game time. And I feel like there's a lot of conversation, like especially around the Premier League at the moment. Um, Manchester City selling uh, that Spanish guy, Brahim, to Real Madrid for 20 million, losing Sancho for 9 million. He's now a 90 million pound player, and Odoi going yeah. to uh, Bayern I Munich. Think he's going, yeah. It's, it's um, staggering, isn't it? Like, so they're, they're, like, at least the, the talent of English players is getting better. Well, it's I think that's happening. another really important point, which is it's irrelevant how good our young players are if they're not as good as those at Manchester City and Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, like we're looking and going, oh, we've got a great team, but Chelsea have, just, you know, in recent years, just hoovered up any talent in the South. They may not play any of them, but they've, they've got them. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and Manchester City have been the same. They've built, a, they've built a goddamn city up in Manchester to just hoover up anyone that, uh, that's any good anywhere in the world. So... Um, look, we can't pin our, pin our hopes on it. And I think that's part of the new Arsenal, which is multi-pronged strategy, like youth, uh, growing younger players. You've got, to, you've got to try a load of different things and then gel it together and be pragmatic and see what happens. Yes. Uh, okay, so uh, additional things that we like about Emery. Um, it started off as a real bonus for me, like like inject those halftime substitutions into my veins because like that was so exciting to begin with. Um, started to look a bit more like a problem now. It's either a problem or it's become Emery's thing. But um, the point is, I've enjoyed watching a manager that's willing to accept he's made bad decisions in his selections and uh, like turning them around quickly and turning those bad decisions into really positive ones. Like the first twenty two games. He almost felt like he made halftime substitutes in almost every single game, but his ability to adapt, change the game as he sees it, and ultimately win out has to be a massive improvement on Arsene Wenger. Massive improvement, yeah. And you know, the one that stands out is that Spurs game where Lacazette and uh, who else came on? Um, whoever it was made a big impact, and um, and you know that was it was just great to see us change the game through substitutions. I sort of feel like there was a narrative after that that said he always intended to make those half-time subs. Um, I think it was because Iwobi had, a good, had an okay first half and got taken off, and the narrative was, oh, actually, Iwobi played pretty well, but he was always there just to soften them up a bit. And I don't really buy that. I just think he changed it, and it, and it improved. Um, but yeah, there's, there was there was a, a fundamental problem that we couldn't go in the lead in the first half. So I think it was more of a statistical aberration, a bit like our 22-game winning streak. I think we probably deserved to be up at half-time in many of those games, and I think we didn't deserve to win all 22 or, or, win and, win and, or go undefeated in them. So I don't read that much into it. There's no doubt that we've been slow starters. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been great to see him make more positive changes for sure. And then the the most the most significant change I think that I've seen, and, and maybe it's tied to one of your your earlier points about the energy of the coach on the sideline. But um, I don't know if we can bucket these in the same thing. But like the f- there's fight 
the team the team fight they won't get bullied it like and we've got we could, we've got shit shit housing players now who 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 won who won a battle who wants yep. a battle i i watched um oh, i can't remember who did i see just before christmas uh, was it huddersfield like a very thuggish game, like a very thuggish game, but like like Socrates won't allow his team to well, be the bullied. The Huddersfield game and then um, the United game because United tried to rough us up and they like they always do. Yeah. And we wouldn't stand for it. And I loved seeing uh, Gwendozi uh, stand up to some of that manhandling because he looks like a small, pretty French beautiful, girl. Beautiful, beautiful French and, girl. Uh, <laughs> And uh, he stood up to it, and that was good to see because it's not just about... It's an attitude. It's not about being tall and tough. We know Lucas... Lucas Torreira looks like a like a street fighter, and you expect it. So it's nice that it's an attitude that's coming from... Every, everyone who comes on is expected to, perf- to perform in that way with that attitude, and that's been one of the issues that Ozil has come across because he hasn't stepped up to that challenge of being a fighter. And Emery's value-based system is: if you play in this team, you have to fight. Yeah, and I, I, I saw somebody say I, did, I didn't catch the full story, but somebody said to Emery, "Like you've described yourself as a coward, as a player, and you won't. It, it, is that why you won't allow your players to behave like that?" And I, you know, he, he, you know, he sort of agreed with with the premise there. But you can see it like that's that that fight has come from him, and I, like, and it, it isn't just about battling like horrible like like Burnley light players. That was who I saw us play Burnley. Um, it's also about fighting till the very last minute, like never feeling. Like, I, I never feel like apart from one game that, that we give up. Um, like we go to the end, we don't let uh, like like we, we don't get depressed. Um, when we lose a game, like I think, uh, I think it was after the uh, like after the unbeaten run came crashing down. I know that we lost the the game immediately after, but that was a that was a cup game. It, I don't feel that there's been a prolonged hangover. No. You know, like uh, Arsene Wenger would lose an unbeaten run and then it would go to shit for like six weeks. I don't feel that we're suffering that. Yeah, I feel like we're suffering other issues. Don't get me wrong. So overall, the fight in the team. Okay, so uh, that's enough waxing lyrical. Let's um, let's talk about some of the things that that, that have gone wrong. Um, I think the first thing that has gone wrong is we all thought one thing, and that was that Unai Emery was going to improve us defensively. He, well, he set out and said exactly that. That was it. And we signed new goalkeeper, new centre half, new defensive midfielder. We've played four at the back. We've played five at the back. He, in half a season, has been unable to improve us in any way defensively. Um, he's bought a right-back as well. So he's bought two defenders, a goalkeeper. So he's bought potentially three of five players, if they're the right players, uh, if they're playing a back four and a goalkeeper. Um, and he hasn't improved us defensively. And that's extremely concerning because that was his number one objective. And you could argue, you could just do that. that. Don't concentrate, keep everything the same, but just organize the team in a more defensive structure and you should see us improve. Um, and I don't know why, because he's still got Steve Bold on the books, not as, def- not as his number two, uh, who you really feel could make an impact in that area. Um, 
and it, and it highlights a lot of things. It highlights player recruitment. It highlights ability to improve through structural change, which is obviously going to be a key part. It highlights ability to communicate around a system. So that's, that's like a big black mark for me, that we've got such a terrible defensive record and there's no, there's no signs of it improving. Everyone was looking for it. And, um, and, you know, the playing out from the back piece, which has been nice to watch, um, it hasn't helped us defensively. No. In fact, it's made us even more susceptible defensively. He, but, but, it's, but it's, again, it's the amount of times that it's the long ball. Every time, every time. It's, it's, it's so easy to get in behind us. Yeah. But the, uh, the most fascinating thing about his inability to move us, um, like, you know, upper level from a defensive perspective is we're largely happy with most of the defensive signings. I said at the time that I thought Lick Steiner, you know, trying to get a 34-year-old to adapt to the Premier League is incredibly difficult unless you're a superhuman like Zlatan Ibrahimovic. But, you know, you could say that he, he didn't really help United like he helped himself, yeah. you know what I mean? I don't, th- I don't think he helped develop United as a better side at that age. Um, but we lo- we're kind of happy with Leno. He's made a couple of mistakes, but, but largely pleased with what he offers yeah. to the team. Everybody loves Socrates. Um, like he, he seems to have, have grown. Uh, and we love Torreira. Yeah. And uh, so it, it's, it's, very, it, it's very interesting because it, it looks like a coaching issue. Yeah. Um, so I don't like... That has to be addressed um, moving forward. I mean, it'd be interesting to know whether... It'd be easy to say you're only as strong as your weakest link. And we've had pretty much at all times of the season Mustafi playing in the team who's been abysmal this year. And if if a player keeps making fundamental errors, you're always going to be susceptible. But I don't know if that is the case because I was thinking back to when uh, you used to have Seagan... Uh, Ashley Cole first came into the team and Tony Adams just sat on the left-hand side and just covered him and just told him where to go and what to do. So you're not just as weak as your weakest link uh, and we should be able to cover for weak players. But for some reason, for some reason we can't. And for some reason, there's there's both errors of the system and just individual errors. And it reminds me a bit of Koscielny because Koscielny is one of those players who we love but it's always making individual errors. Yeah. Uh, and it feels like that's just the Arsenal way defensively. And I can't recall us having a really great rear guard defensive display as a team against a top team since we played Man City about five years ago and we won 2-0 away. Like you just don't see them when we're under pressure and we, and we survive it. We, we just don't do it. No. Um, so defence is definitely something that he's got to address. And like it, it does always seem like the, the answer is... The big, huge, six foot five, bald guy sitting on the bench with you. Just give him, give him the defense. Give him the keys. Let him do something. Let him do something. Um, a- another issue that's been consistent and worries me is only leading going into halftime once in nineteen or twenty games now. Um, consistently picking the wrong starting eleven starting slowly uh, um, um, and making errors in the first half. Like, what, do you, like, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, like, so a, co- can't be a coincidence with half a season's worth of data, right? Um, I'm not sure. I think, it is, I, think it, it, I think there is definitely some 
I was just saying a bit earlier, I think we didn't deserve to win all those, to go unbeaten in all those 22 games. And I think this is a bit the same. We could easily have been up at half-time in three or four of them. You know, we conceded on the stroke of half-time a few times. We were unlucky in some first halves. I don't think his selection's always been spot on. Um, it sort of changed over the season. I was There was some thing came up in a social feed with Arsenal showing Lacazette's nine goals. And I sort of feel like we missed a trick with Lacazette because he was on fire earlier in the season. And for some reason, uh, we didn't find a way of keeping him and Obama Yang in the team together every game. That we started opting for one or the other and going for Iwobi and Mikitarian. And I just think that was an error because Lacazette was on fire, Obama Yang was on fire. Find a way to get them playing together, find a system that works with both of them. And you just got double trouble. Uh, and so I think that's been a, sele- a strange selection piece. Other than that, the selections have been... We've got what we've got. I mean, the only real question... No, there's not been a game where you've gone, oh, wow. Uh, so... Okay. This, um... Do you think there's been strange selections in terms of... I mean, it's just those front... It won't be a Mkhitaryan, really. I mean, who else? the team sort of picks itself... At, at the moment, I just think that there's a really interesting. Um, I, ju- I just think it's an interesting set of data. Um, something's going wrong. He's not getting it right. He's not sending the players out on fire. They're making terrible mistakes in the first half, and he manages to change it in the second half every time. Like, ho- hopefully, that's not going to carry through. I mean, what about the idea that uh, we were we've just been fitter because we did all those double sessions, and then the reason it's tailed off is because everyone else has got fitter and we've got tired. Well, I, I would I would say that that is definitely a, another point. Like we mentioned it at the start of the season, like Emery was uh, like hitting hitting the double sessions. We know that Emery brought in his own strength and conditioning coach, which is completely absurd when you think of the great job that Shaft Forsyth has been doing um, at Arsenal over the last few years and the lack of injuries. And lo and behold. We get to December and we start getting uh, an injury pileup. Even the invincible Hector Bellerin um, is out. And I tell you, like, when I went to the... It was the Burnley game um, just before Christmas. I, I, I sat up in this... Like, and for the first half, I was with my dad. And we sat up like at the very back row, uh, like opposite the, the clock end. And uh, I was shocked at how slow the... The play was like no intensity uh, on the pitch whatsoever. And I was wondering, like, is that a, is that a strategic decision? Because we know that Burnley aren't going to come to play. But it, ju- it was it, it just felt like every game that I watched over Christmas, um, it was it was slow, it was methodical, it didn't feel as like electric as it was at the start of the season. Like the pressing game has gone to shit. Kind of almost like uh, you know, us and Wenger teams for the first three games would press and then it would just disappear and. Again, like maybe this is just experience of the Premier League, but uh, I think Emery underestimated the physicality of the Premier League. Everybody is as fit as everybody in our league, and everybody is going to gun for you. Every team has got three or four great players. Um, every team can beat you. That's not the same in La Liga. That's certainly not the same for the you know the the two years that he was at PSG, where like what have you got two, three big games a year? The rest of your uh, interest is. Uh, in, in the Champions League, so I think he's. I, I think maybe he's had a realization that all of that, like ridiculous double session work that he did at the start of the season, might be costing him because he's got leggy players 
He seems to be losing people to some of those soft tissue injuries all the time. Obviously not helped that he's uh, he's lost big names to impact injuries, but the the difference in fitness between this year and last year is is notable. And also, like, what, like what has that? What have those double sessions done to improve us? Because you know we're not defending well, we're not attacking well. So here's a, a, a contrarian view. Um, speaking to some uh, some people in the game who had a very different view to how the Ozil situation has played out and to a certain degree how the Aaron Ramsey um, debacle has played out. And their view is that the, the treatment of those two players in professional terms has been a disgrace. Like uh, uh, The Aaron Ramsey contract was pulled. You're dropping him into games. You're pulling him out. Like He's been badly treated for a, a player who's effective and has been at the club um, for that for that long. The view on Meza Ozil um, and the, the, the example pulled was like Mourinho treated Pogba like shit, couldn't get anything out of him because in the end, like players like that, they're all about ego. You've got to put an arm around them and you've got to work out a way of getting the most out of them because they're expensive assets. Do you think that Emery has fucked the Meza Ozil scenario, or do you think that he's just inherited a bad egg who's semi-retired and he's making the right decision and he needs to move him on? Like, where, like, what, what do you do with a Meza Ozil Look, if you're a there, good manager? There, there is absolutely no doubt that the whole squad management has been abysmal. And it's, it's a conversation for another day, but there's no doubt in my mind that Gazidis got out before just how bad he'd made things became apparent. Because imagine if he was still there and all of this was on him. Because the way it's just... You look at Liverpool selling Solanke or whatever for nearly 20 million and we've let, we're just letting everyone, all of our talent over the last five years, our best talent, international, yeah. global talent, walk out the door for nothing. Um, Juve is number one, it's, it, like it's, 13 million. It's, it's shocking. So we've got a problem across the board. If you highlight the two, letting Aaron Ramsey go, in my opinion, is a, a, a poor call, but it's a necessary one because we've just got to fix the, we've got to just fix the wrongs and start again, basically. We're at that point. Um, and it makes the Meza Ozil situation seem even worse because you're like, well, why aren't we keeping Aaron Ramsey and we're letting and Ozil still here? And Aaron Ramsey's rumored salary at Juventus, 150 grand a week, yeah. which everybody would have been happy with, yeah. right? Yeah. And then the bit that really gets you is, you know, if Emery was looking for a player to fulfill what he wants the system to work like, Alex Oxley Chamberlain would probably be that player. I mean, direct, works hard, fast, plenty of room to improve, hungry, you know, knows the club. Emery would would, would bite your hand off with someone like him and, and, and you know, and he's gone. So um, if you analyse the individual situations, I think he's, he's, he's obviously decided that there's no room for Ozil. He doesn't want Ozil in the club and he's going to try and force him out. Um, and apparently, from what I've heard, it's nothing personal. And they all and everyone said sort of, it's not a personal thing. It's just uh, they want the money to do something else with it, and he doesn't want to give up his amazing salary. And everyone, no one's, 
going, you're unreasonable, you're unreasonable. From what I can understand, everyone knows exactly why everyone's doing it, but it's business. Um, and that's where it's going to be really interesting to see how it pans out. And at some point, they're going to just have to cut a deal because it's unsustainable. And it, it, I don't think it's going to be in January. I think it will be. It's not healthy either. I, I don't think, think it's healthy to I have your... it's going to be in the summer, but it's not good for the squad. So, so major problem there. Gazid has royally fucked it by offering such a mega salary. You know, you also have to go in a world of social media. If we then, got, if we, if we had gone, Özil, we're not offering. Özil's not signing a new contract. Casidas would have got panned. Arsenal would have got panned. We would have said they lacked ambition. All those fans who say, "Give them what they want." How many times have we heard that from from people on on, on social media? And yeah. give them what they want. Why does Arsenal have a wage structure? Well, this is why Arsenal had a wage structure for so long. This is why you don't give players what they want. This is why the club shouldn't bow to fan pressures because, and that's why you need top quality people in those roles that don't bow to it. You never saw, you know, the original David Dean and those sort of types, you know, smashing the wage structure in such a way. And, and it's it's really coming home to, to Richard. It's an absolute mess where our squad is and how we've let talent disappear and how little money we've got to spend and how unbalanced it is and, and the way we're letting someone go to Juventus for nothing who we should be getting 50 million for. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, I don't like. Um, I'm not a fan of. I'm not a fan of Mesut Özil. Um, but if he's not gonna, if he's not gonna put the effort in on the pitch, I mean, it's like it's very difficult. Like, how do you, um, how do you work with a player who's 30 years old, has won everything, notoriously does not like to. Uh, I mean, the one thing I'd say is it's a bit like. Uh, I don't. Maybe I'm not. Very, I'm, I'm not that great at. Project management, right? And it's like a new someone coming in and going, "Oh, you've got to be, you've got to be better at project management." And you can try, but if it's not your, and you can make an effort, but it's not what you 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 weren't sold with that. You weren't that they didn't bring you in with that idea at at the the centre of why they wanted you. It's not where your natural skill set is. You've never done it for your whole career. Like, it's just, you know, it's like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. I just don't think it's his game. I don't think, I just don't think it works. And I don't think he can take all the blame for that. He's never been that player. You can't expect him to suddenly transform himself at age 30. He is what he is. And he's, the previous manager has always been happy with him behaving in a certain way. But Mourinho got a lot out of him. It's a different team, I think. And he didn't, he still wasn't. And he still got called a coward by Mourinho yeah. and had a boot thrown him in the dressing room or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, so, but, it, you know, it's it's more... I don't really... I don't blame any of the individuals. I don't blame Emery. I don't blame Ozil. I don't blame Ramsey. I think Ramsey's behaved with a huge amount of dignity. Um, I think it's just a really poor situation that came, uh, came about uh, from that stupid deal that got offered by Gazidis and Wenger. And Gazidis, really... Because let's face it, there wouldn't be this drama around Ozil if he was on 150 grand a week. He'd just not be playing. Yeah, and you'd be able to sell him. And you'd be able to sell him. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. So, 
Um, I mean, we could touch on like creativity going forward, but like again, it's part of the same problem. There's no real identity in the Emery team, and we've been watching this for six months now. I think the um, it's quite robotic and methodical uh, going forward. I don't really feel like there's I, like like we recycle the ball out wide, and then we you know we play in crosses. I don't think that there's there's not that magic. I, mean, I, mean, I, look, I think to be fair, I've enjoyed watching us going forward this season. I think we've been offensively strong. We've outscored pretty much everyone. But I think that's more having incredibly efficient strikers than uh, than, than creating a lot. Like, it's like, interesting that our biggest problem is creativity going forward. You know, I think it's, it was six weeks ago that we were every. It was everyone was joking and saying Arsenal's goal of the month award is the goal of the season award. You know, we were free flowing, passing from the back, brilliant team goals. I know there was against Fulham and whoever else. The, the, the Spurs goals were brilliant. Uh, you know, I think that there's been there's been some good moments, and we shouldn't lose sight of that. I think it's it's still there has been good moments, but you know what? We, like, what I feel that that we're lacking, it's like the, we haven't had like that many. I I don't, I don't think we've really had. Uh, fuck me, that is the Emery way. Like one of those one of those come to Jesus games where you're like, this is the most incredible thing that I've seen. Like. I know that the Spurs game was great, but I don't feel that there's been like a like a like a true um, like a true showing of yeah, what Emery no, Ball can I, be. I, I yeah, dis- I know? disagree. I think um, what get what like what game? Liverpool. I know we drew, but I thought we were the better team, uh, and I thought we went toe to toe with one of the best teams in Europe, and we looked technically strong. We looked we had that intensity right from the right from the right from the first 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 second. Spurs is another game, and I think where you see it is where there is intensity, and I think that's all we're looking for. And I think the reality is, you know, you look at Liverpool or Manchester City, who are the two best teams in the league. They don't have that intensity every game because they don't need to have that intensity every game. But they, but as soon as they're up against anyone strong, the intensity comes. And they and they, and and they. But they, both of those teams had clear identities from the start. You can see exactly what the manager was trying to do. I don't. I, I don't think that it's obvious what Emery's trying to achieve. No, I disagree with with. I think um, someone like Liverpool, with you know Liverpool were nothing special, um, until um, two things happened in my opinion. One was they were forced to sell Coutinho. And then that that prompted a rejig of their strategy. So they had that moment that often happens to really great teams is they had a moment of luck where someone actually they managed to unlock a whole other dimension once he left. And then they've gone on, come on leaps and bounds by signing a fantastic 75 million defender. Uh, yes, it was, oh, we want fast, quick, powerful players up front and we want to do the Gagan press and, and that sort of thing. But I think, you know, the Arsenal identity, you could say, is we play out from the back. We have an intensity about our play. Uh, you know, what's the difference between saying that and saying gegenpress? Like, what's the difference? Like, playing out the back is not a style. It's kind of, that's a tactic. Rock, like, heavy metal football is a style of football. Pep, Pep, Pep Guardiola has a style of like mesmeric, like complex, direct, like short passing football. I don't think we've got that but yet. Do, do you think that came through in his first year at City? I think it came through in the first thirteen games where he won all of them. I think that you could see you could see immediately what Klopp was trying to do. He didn't have the right players to deliver upon it, yeah. but you knew exactly 
what the, the the guiding principles of his game were. I'm still not sure that Sven Mislintat understands what this Emirates... Like, if you look at the players that he's signing, it's not clear exactly what he's trying to do. Well, I think one of the things I wanted to touch on, which is actually the most con- one of the most concerning things, is it's been really... It's been what would be really nice is if we said, "Fuck the old regime were fucking terrible," and it's so great that we've got these new guys in who have got brains and are sharp and are turning it all around. Oh, thank God, it's all it's going to get fixed. But my concern is about the new regime as well, uh, and there's a couple of decisions that that I just think have, have been really poor early on. One is Mkhitaryan. I know, 170 grand a week. Uh, because that's like old, that, that was like the old Arsenal regime thinking, oh, we're giving up Sanchez, so let's get someone in return. But modern day football, the wages are the bit that, they're the, they're the bit that kicks you in the teeth rather than the original transfer fee. And it's having someone like that on 200 grand when you look at the way we've recruited with Torreira and Guendozi, like we could have had two new players in, and instead we've got Mkhitaryan, who I, I'm not impressed by. Uh, no, in in the slightest. Um, and then this the the CEO hire, well not CEO but whatever his name is, Vinay. Yeah. Um, poor hire, I think. I mean. It's Arsenal Football Club, getting someone tried and tested. Um, and I don't like um, this flat organisational hierarchy because at the end of the day, it's a way of escaping responsibility. Someone needs to be the boss. And I don't, like, regardless, because otherwise there's always an opportunity for things to fall in between the gaps and to not know whose remit exactly it is and I know it sounds very modern and very flexible but at the end of the day who's the fucking boss yeah and then um and then you start digging around um with Raul now again I might I might be completely wrong here but he certainly wasn't in charge at um Barcelona but he worked he worked at a club with a wage bill almost double Manchester City's anything Barcelona want they get They've got unlimited funds. Uh, like everything is like the top level of the top level of the top level. Uh, like what? Do, what does he know? What like how, like what does he know about coming into Arsenal and turning us around? This is this is what like when um the uh, when Ivan left and Morata of Juventus quit, and you're like just reach out and, and pick that guy up. That's a guy that completely rebuilt. Uh, like Juventus, he did a lot of like the sporting director role of wheeler dealing players. They had a very specific transfer strategy of like bringing in like the best uh, like young Italian players and then picking off like free transfers from all around Europe. They had a low wage bill and they've been to two Champions League finals. Like that's a that's a guy that has the know how to um, establish a winning mentality. Uh, like a, a guy that understands the prestige of a top club and he knows how to do it he knows how to work those funds harder than anybody else and instead we've got this barcelona guy and i'm like this you know you're you're taking the richest kid in the playground and you're saying go and work with arsenal and like you know the the, uh, the managing director um like i i have no idea of what his abilities um are but you wonder you do wonder what he did with a deal with the devil 
37 years old and getting that sort of role like you're not you're not going to speak up are you like and you've also been trained by Ivan Gazidis well, and one of the worst decision makers in the world of football well and there's, there's one more thing which is I can't even remember the exact wording but and I know like I come from a brand background so I think this stuff's important but I would love to see Arsenal Football Club come out and go this is our this is our strategy even if it's our strategy is by 2022 half the first team regulars will be Arsenal born and bred will augment them with the best and brightest talent from around Europe that's our strategy not we've got to get in we've got to have a short-term strategy to get us in the Champions League and then we'll do another strategy to get us from there to there. Or or you come out and say that. But I think just vocalising it and being clear means that there's conviction in the strategy, whereas I feel like we're not clear because we're not 100% sure things are going to work. Like, like, like when, when Abramovich took over, that his strategy was, I can't get the top tier. So I'm going to get the second-tier players to get into the Champions League. I'll get, the sec- I'll get Ranieri to buy a load of like, old players. Players will come for the money. We'll get to the Champions League. And then I'll bring in... Mar- then Mourinho came in and he bought top top tier. And I feel like, fine, if that's, is that the strategy? Or, or is it not the strategy? Or is it the young players? Or we've just been pleasantly surprised by what he's found in the academy? Or what's the plan so that we can get behind it. Because if we say the plan is Project Youth 2.0, like you referenced it, which I like, then it means, well, I want to see five, first, five of the team, those players, so they make their mistakes this year. And, you know, we go, look, we're going to make our mistakes this year. Maybe we won't get Champions League this year, but this is the plan. We've got to get back on top. And our ambition is not Champions League. Our ambition is Champions League finals. The Champions League, we want to win the Champions League in the next six years. Uh, that sort of behaviour would be far more exciting to me than we need to... Because at the moment, you go, the, the, the objective was toughen up and improve defensively, so we bought some tough players and three defenders. Well, that's not working. No, and uh, the, everything is half-assed, isn't it? It's like, oh, we're going to hire in some experience. We're hiring a, a 34-year-old, and like we hire OK not top tier like experience. We hire in okay uh, experience. Like if if you want to be, if if you want to, like if we'd said at the start of the season, they were like, okay, it's going to be Project Youth 2.0. We're going to buy the best fucking twenty year olds. Uh, we're going to have like some like hardcore sort of like twenty eight year olds who can like help support them. And we're going to write off this season. And we're going to all these young players, this this crop of kids coming through. We'll find out this year whether they're good enough, and if not, then we'll rotate them through. But we'll let the fans know. Yeah. Look, this is this is a five-year plan. It can't happen overnight. We have to grow players. And to, you look to get at, and, and look, my one of my favourite players at Arsenal is Guendouzi, and I'm well aware that he is so rough around the edges. He makes a ton of mistakes, but I love him. I love him too. Love Everybody him. loves him. I love him because he's got character, and he's the future. Yeah. And I don't care whether he makes mistakes that can see goals because he's got enough. At the way he's playing at the moment, that could change. He could become the next to Nielsen. But at the moment, to go, I want to see him in the first team. And I don't care if he makes a mistake because I think he's got character and I think he can be a future Arsenal legend. Uh, and I know that's like, oh, you know, that's such typical Arsenal. We talk about 
No, he's got he's the guy's the kid's got potential, and I'd rather see him and Maitland Niles and you know yeah make some mistakes, but at least with with the ambition of not of being I want I want the ambition at Arsenal to be to be winning the Champions League, not to be scraping into fourth. And I don't care whether we have to push the deadline out of that a decade. It's possible, and it's what we should be aiming for. Yeah, and uh, reduce that wage bill. Just like cycle those players out, get back to a like a standard wage bill. You've, if you if you reduce that by fifty million, which like should should be possible, and then you, your your top players are like Torreira on sixty five grand a week. Like our wage bill should be like similar to Spurs. If Spurs can be in the Champions League on that, reset the wage bill, like start building transfer funds, grow players like Torreira, sell him for 120 million euros, bring in the next Torreira. And then if you if you build uh, like a brand of football, you have like a very specific vision, like we want to play uh, like Wenger Ball, like 2.0, like the real Wenger Ball, like that's exciting, that brings the fans in. All the young players want to be there because they're like, I'm not going to get a chance at Manchester City, but I will at Arsenal because I know what their structure is. And then there's there's a real energy around exciting young players. And I just still think back, and I know, like we criticise Wenger a lot, but he did Project, have... He, did, Project, he, he, he always had an idea. Yeah, he always had an idea, right? <laughs> like, it wasn't like... To, to, and he nearly got it right so many times. Yeah. If, if Arsene Wenger had hired in young coaches yeah. to help him advance his thinking, 2008 could have happened. 2010. 2010, yeah. Uh, 2012, 13. We talk, but, so he, he nearly got it right a lot of times. He just didn't have... Uh, he you couldn't know, execute his idea in yeah. a way. He had the ideas... But now someone senior has got to have that idea. And it doesn't seem like Raul's got the idea at the moment. I feel like Sven Mistentat should, should, should be a great signing, but he doesn't, it doesn't not, feel but like... But also, he is a, he's a facilitator. Yeah, so, so, he, so, so he needs the idea to recruit against. I don't think he's the guy to come up with the idea and recruit. And I think that's why he was so successful with Klopp, because Klopp had the idea and Mistentat executed it in terms of player recruitment. And so I worry that, you know, it's like anyone, it's you always want the bigger role, but actually some people are just better, as a, and people say, you know, they're number ones and number twos. And I worry that, and this is part of my thing about who's the boss, I want uh, Miss Lintat to be spending all his time doing what he's the best in the world at, which is recruitment. I don't want him in an elevated position as one of the three one of three CEOs, essentially. Yeah, and then, then you read in today that we're um, looking for a technical director. Uh, so you're like, what, like what, what, are we, what, what are we doing here? Like, what, like, what, what does that mean? I, I, the standard said that um, it was, uh, the technical director was about defining a style of play as part of the role and, you know, looking after the youth academy and things like that. And then you see that we're going after Edu, who apparently did a good job at Corinthians and is now a technical director for the Brazilian national team. But again, you're like, I, 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 I don't know. It, it, like, are these decisions being made because he's an Arsenal old boy or because he's genuinely the best in the business? Like, I, I, like Per Mertesacker, love him to bits, but putting him in charge of the academy. Like, you, this isn't like, you know, my vision of, you know, Arteta could come in as a, as a first team coach. Like, this is looking after, like, generations of players when you've never... And again, coached. the problem... And all of this all comes down to one guy, Ivan Gazidis, who you feel is like the, um, 
he's a bit like the Klattenberg of CEOs. I feel like he loves hang. He was a bit starstruck, and he loved hanging around with the players, and was in awe of them. And because you know he was seeing a particularly a particularly average piece of Arsenal history, like his points of reference of greatness is Arteta and Mertesacker, and he want it's like he wanted to help them out and do them favors, and it's like no, this is they let's. Be brutally honest, Arteta and Mertesacker were part of the problem around Arsenal's averageness during the period because they got talked about as Arsenal greats and there will never, ever be a flag of either of them over the bridge. They were never invincibles. They weren't league winners. You know, per Mertesacker in that FA Cup just, final, watch your mouth, man. Watch your mouth. I, look, that I'm was not, one of the greatest set-back performances be, I've ever I'm, seen I'm in an Arsenal show. I'm never going to be down on him. I'm just saying... You know, we need to reevaluate what we mean by the word legend around Arsenal, and it shows a little bit about how Aaron Ramsey. Slip. No, not really. <laughs> I know, right? I don't even. I can't believe it's even a debate. Can't believe it's even a debate. Um, wow, that was a that was a that was, that, that was a beast. I think. Uh, yeah, I think we've. We did fifty one minutes. We did fifty one minutes. Okay, uh, we did have a lot of other topics to get through, but uh, Gazidis rage. Uh, Send us into a bad place, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna wrap that one up. Do you think we'll do one next week? Yeah, yeah. I think we're gonna try and get back on a on a bit of a roll because no one's uh, no one's drinking alcohol. Um, everyone's going down the gym. We're feeling fit and fresh. Um, thank you one, for joining. One, one quick thing is, uh, I'm really excited about United in the cup. Oh I, yeah, because the the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, like the press, they never learn, do they? They're like the players really respect the new manager. They're listening to him, unlike Mourinho. And it's like, come, it's five games in. It's five games in, and they're still shit. They're yeah. still shit. I've got I a hope feeling, he fucking I've, tanks I've got, them. I've got a feeling that's going to be the next time we see Emery's proper Arsenal. Yes. Because okay. Because we're at home, uh, big team. It's our FA Cup. Let's not forget that. Yes. Okay, on that note, um, like, uh, cheers to you all. Um, uh, happy New Year. Happy New Year. Um, we, will, uh, we will look forward to filling your earwaves. No, your earwaves, your ear holes. That sounds disgusting. That sounds gross. We'll, we'll look forward to talking to you. Look at the shit. Okay, thanks a lot. Speak to you soon, mate. Peacock streaming the world's biggest sporting events, exclusive originals, and the latest movies. This February, we've got Super Bowl 56 and the 2022 Winter Olympics. Peacock original Bel Air from executive producer Will Smith and Westbrook Studios. Damn! Plus tons of new movies every week, including Marry Me, starring Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. In theaters and streaming only on Peacock, Valentine's Day. With all this and so much more to love, sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.